0: All right, John 15, 8 to 11, God's word says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That word means like remain, remain in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that your joy, that that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. I want to encourage you, I'm going to give a little bit of a backstory. We're going to watch just a short video. I'm not a big video guy, but this video has stuck out to me. It's almost 20 years old now. It's a video, if you guys don't know, of Tom Brady. Everybody heard of Tom Brady, right? Uh, he's a quarterback of the New England Patriots. Now, a cor- Or I don't know. If, did he retire again or not? I can't keep track of how many times he's retired. Uh, he was with the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Bucks. He's run, won a ton of Super Bowls. And so I want you to turn your eyes down to the screens and watch this uh, short video this morning.
1: Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, Maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is... Me, I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't... This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, it's... I think that's part of me experiencing trying to go out and experience other things but there's a i know i love playing football and i love being the quarterback for this team and but at the same time i think there's a lot of other parts about me that i'm trying to find and different ways of expression being around i know what ultimately makes me happy are family and friends and positive relationships with with great people and i think i get more out of that than anything
0: Man, watching that 60 Minutes interview from nearly 20 years ago, still it still gets to me when he says the phrase there's, there's got to be more than this," and you you kind of see the angst in his his face. It, it reminds me actually, it's like a like a throwback to the to the school days. You know, if you're back, think back in in uh, your childhood school days. You're in grade school. The teacher asks a question. You have the answer to, right? You're convinced. You're in the back waving your hand, right? Ooh. Pick me, pick me. I got the answer, right? I got the answer, Tom Brady. It's a relationship with God that you need, that you're missing out of, out on. But how often do we hear the phrase closely linked to Tom Brady's kind of conundrum, his problem, this? And this is our focus this morning. We've been spending this series looking at at different cultural eyes. And and his issue really stems from this phrase, if it makes you happy, right? He hits on that a little bit at the end of the interview there, that happiness is found in relationships and friends. But I'll be honest with you, he's not really convincing in his tone at the end of that interview. And, and I'm going to get into a little bit of, of Tom Brady's life. Uh, for for Tom Brady, even winning the Super Bowl multiple times has failed to offer lasting satisfaction and happiness. He said in that interview that it was finding happiness really in in friends and family and relationships. But, but as we look back on on Tom Brady's life, he he split up with his girlfriend of the time, uh, a gal named Bridget. Monahan, who's, if you watch the TV show, Blue Bloods, that's, that's kind of one of my guilty pleasures. I love Blue Bloods. She was one of the, she's the attorney on there. Tom Selleck's daughter, who's the attorney on there. That was Tom Brady's girlfriend, who he has a child with, left her, and then ended up getting married to a model, a Brazilian model named Giselle. They just recently divorced. They have two children together. So obviously he's not finding happiness in any of those relationships because he keeps turning over and running away. Along with adding, he had three Super Bowl wins in 2005. He's added four more Super Bowl wins. I can't even keep count of how many times he's actually been in the Super Bowl. Okay, I don't want to see another Super Bowl ever in my life with Tom Brady, and if I'm honest. (laughs) I venture to guess he continues to ask the same question. There's got to be more than this, right? There's got to be more than this. Yet, Yet the phrase reverberates throughout society it's in the form of this if it makes you happy if it makes you happy do it or whatever makes you happy do it as if this is the moral ethical and life compass that we need to guide us to purpose satisfaction and meaning right happiness and it brings us to our main idea I'm just going to be straight out there this morning here's our main idea do you want to know what brings happiness pursue God and true and lasting happiness will follow Pursue God and true and lasting happiness will follow. The phrase, if it makes you happy, has caused so much grief because merely pursuing happiness as an end leads us down the wrong path. Our, Our wants and desires need a reorienting, they must be aimed at the pursuit of God. Jesus promises this, if we remain in him, running after him, following him, pursuing him, he says he will remain in you, he will abide in you. And he gives us this beautiful encouragement in John fifteen eleven. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, right, my happiness may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Some of your translations, I love it when it says complete. Your joy, your happiness may be complete. Finished. Really, when we examine a, a, a purpose in life, happiness is closely linked to the conversation. What, what is the ultimate goal of life? Culturally, we're, we're encouraged that our life's purpose is to foster this happiness and satisfaction. And that whatever pursuit you have in life to be, quote unquote, happy is the highest goal of your life. And yet most of us understand that the mere pursuit of happiness often leads to less than ideal results. Again, just look at Tom Brady's interview with 60 Minutes as proof, right? There's got to be more than this. I mean, there's few figures in American culture that have been more uh, successful, we would say, than Tom Brady. He's got money. He's got Super Bowl rings. He's had relationships. He's got kids. And yet he still keeps saying what? there's got to be more than this. To be clear, I want to say the the innate desire to be happy, that's not a sinful pursuit. If I'm honest, I want everyone I come in contact with to be happy and satisfied. I think we desire that for our friends and family, for, for our children. However, the elevation of this as the highest measure of purpose in our life leaves us wanting more being less satisfied, and really just unhappy in the end. Instead, Jesus promises that if we abide in Him, which means to remain in relationship with Him, His joy will be in us, and it will be full. It will be complete. And so let's look at this question. What is happiness? What is happiness? A definition I found online says this, happiness is an emotion arising from an inner conviction that all is right within our world, it is a sense of well-being, joy, or contentment, right? I want some of that. I want that, that kind of feeling. Again, there, there's nothing wrong with happiness. It, it's a good emotion that God has given us to express a sense of well-being and contentment. And I want to assert this truth to you this morning, that God's heart is in himself deeply satisfied and happy, so when, when we are in a state of happiness, we're closely linked to the heart of God. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all he pleases, right? That, there's a, a statement there that really just embodies contentment and happiness. He does what he wants and what is good and what is right. And so he must have deep and lasting happiness. The question is, what is the source of your happiness? Is it dependent on your pursuits alone, void of influence of God, based solely on what you think and feel will make you, quote-unquote, happy? Or is it drawing from the inexhaustible well of joy that having a healthy relationship with the Lord provides? Unfortunately, our natural inclination is, is to pursue the well of happiness void of the pursuit of God and His holiness, meaning we often think happiness is the end goal, but this then leads to the pursuit of happiness above the pursuit of God, which is a sin. Anything that we put above our pursuit of our relationship with God is sinful. I've repeated this phrase throughout the Cultural Lies series. We make good things, right? Happiness is a good thing. We make good things into God things. That is idolatry, which is a sin. We do this with the good blessings of financial health and recreation and family and food and even sex, all good things, but they are not ultimate things. I think C.S. Lewis gives us a great insight into this when he says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. He concludes this way, we are far too easily pleased. The pursuit of happiness alone is a half-hearted pursuit. It never brings us to the place where we find true and lasting satisfaction, and it often leads us down the path of harm and pain. Why? It's our first point this morning. Because sin is powerfully attractive. Sin is powerfully attractive. Why is, if it makes you happy, a cultural lie? Because happiness as the measure of our end goal aims too low, as Lewis says in his quote. And as an end goal is often associated with the fleeting pleasure of sin because we've elevated above God. The desire of the flesh are are strong. This is evident in those who, who do not have the spirit of God within them, pushing back against their sinful inclinations. But it is also evident in the people of God as we continue to struggle to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We often remain in a struggle with our desire to do what is contrary to God. And when we put happiness as the, the end goal, the ultimate goal of life, which many do, we magnify the attraction of sin. I think this is what Proverbs fourteen twelve is getting at. Uh, when it says this, there is a way that seems right to man, right? Seeking happiness seems right, and then it goes on, but, it end, but its end is the way to death. When that thing is placed in the place of God, our Father, it leads to death. This is the promise of every vice that we find or bad thing that we find in Scripture, It's the promise that you will be deeply satisfied and happy, and yet they only leave you broken and hurting and wanting for more. Never satisfied, never experiencing joy as Jesus promised. That is full. I think the account of Cain and Abel captures this well. Abel brought to God the the first and best of his flock. Now, if we think through, Abel could have done this. He could have thought he would find happiness and satisfaction in taking these for himself, right? Right? He was raising livestock, the fattened portions. He deserved them, right? I deserve what I worked for. He worked for it. Shouldn't he have this? But no, Abel reserved it and offered it to who? To God. It says the firstborn and the fattened portions. Knowing that honoring and glorifying God is the highest goal of our lives. And in doing so, we are deeply satisfied. So it's what we were created to do. Cain, on the other hand, the brother of Abel, offered God, I believe, the leftovers. He gave some of his crop, but the text does not note that it was the best or the first. He must have enjoyed these for himself, finding happiness in the immediate pleasure and satisfaction of taking for himself what rightly belonged to God. And God, even in in the midst of this, just a few verses in this story, in his goodness, grace, and mercy, he gave Cain the opportunity to what? To do well. He makes the offer, hey, you you can fix this. You can do well, Cain. But Cain selfishly rejected the offer and instead looked to get even with Abel for making him look bad, to find satisfaction in trying to make right in the world what he thought was wrong, that is Cain, what he thought was standing in the way of happiness. His brother Abel. And the Lord warns him again in Genesis 4-7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? God is offering this to Cain. He's basically saying, Cain, you got two paths to go down. Are you going to do well and honor me? Or are you going to keep being selfish and pursuing only what you want? And God gives a warning here. He says, And if you do not do well, right, here's the warning. The word of God is very clear. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. But you must, what, rule over it. It's this picture of dominion to be over this, to subdue it. Control. Later on in this sermon, we're going to hit on the the fruit of the Spirit. One of those is self-control, which Cain obviously lacked. Cain chose to take the life of his brother instead of honoring God. And this is what the sole pursuit of happiness and satisfaction through our own means and ends leads to. It leads to death. In this instance, Cain literally killed his brother. It's a bit extreme, but in many of our lives, the sole pursuit of happiness as the end goal of life leads to this. It leads to a slow death of fleeting emotions and desires, that That never fully measure up and only harm us in monumental ways, as I was reading through that phrase of of God here to Cain, he says, "Sin is crouching at the door i think I think Peter gets that that, that the enemy walks around like a like a lion right and and it reminded me this this language reminded me of uh, my high school years. Uh, on an annual basis, the church I was a part of, we would go down to Ensenada, Mexico on a mission trip. They're actually getting hit by a hurricane right this moment. Uh, it's on the on the coast of Mexico, Baja, California is what it's called. And we would go down and help build a house for a family down there and minister to kids in, in the little neighborhoods and villages around Ensenada. And in the evenings, we would go out and kind of do a fun night on the beach. And Ensenada is just right on the coast, beautiful beaches there. And when you the beach that we would go to, this was crazy when you'd get out of the car there was there was actually a caged lion yeah. out in front of this hotel that we would kind of walk past and go down to and in the distance, right, the lion was absolutely beautiful, but he he was all caged up, and this is what would happen as you would approach being drawn to that lion i'd like. There's just something that draws, especially a cage animal. Like, I know it's not gonna bite me or hurt me or anything like that, so I'm just gonna come over and kind of get a close look. But you want to know what that lion would do to anybody that got close to its cage? It would spray them. (laughs) Do you know what that means? (laughs) Anybody that got close was peed on. That's what sin's like. It, It looks beautiful. You think you got it under control? You get close and, poosh, right? And I saw this happen to I mean, we'd take groups and the kids and like, "Hey, don't go near the lion's cage." Sure enough, there was always that one guy, right? <laughs> like, dude, you're going to sit in the back of the pickup on the way back. Sin is powerfully attractive. But it is a killer. So then the question becomes, where do we find satisfaction and happiness? And how do we get there? What's the answer, right? What is, this is the the biggest question we face as humans. Like, what is the purpose? What What on earth am I here for? Again, we hear Tom Brady's voice. There's got to be more than this. Our second point: where do we find satisfaction? Satisfaction is found in glorifying and enjoying God. We're going direct this morning. Satisfaction is found in glorifying and enjoying God. I think a great example of this is King Solomon. King Solomon wrestled with this very question in Ecclesiastes. And I think we we need to take it from his experience. See, we're we're stubborn, aren't we? We want to figure out our own way. But man, if we just looked at Solomon's life, we would learn a lot of things that we shouldn't do. And he he gave us the wisdom to follow. I think we take, take it from his experience that he knows that deep and lasting happiness and satisfaction are only found in glorifying God. He says this. He gets through ecclesiastes and he's going through you know how meaningless life is and then he comes to the end and he concludes the book in this way i'll I'll back up to verse 10 and then we'll read verses 13 and 14 says the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth and then here are the last words that he gives us in ecclesiastes the end of the matter all has been heard right okay let the verdict be out there for everybody to hear let scripture speak clearly Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. It can't get any more clear than that, can it? It's not the pursuit of happiness. It's not your family. It's not money. It's not doing your own thing. It is to fear God, glorify God, we could say, and keep His commandments. Reading on, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What does he mean there? God sees everything. God can see everything. And here's a truth that we learn from Solomon. Solomon had everything in the world at his disposal. And yet his conclusion, right, to the end of the matter was to fear God. Solomon was incredibly wealthy, and yet money did not give him lasting happiness. In 1 Kings, we find this: uh, Solomon had a thousand women to satisfy him, and yet they only led his heart astray and led to destruction. Solomon had power and yet concluded that fearing God is the end of the matter. Solomon had a massive family, and yet this is what they did. They divided up the kingdom. They sinned against God, and they dishonored Solomon. They dishonored God's name. If you've read Ecclesiastes, does he sound happy after all of this? No. Because he pursued happiness and satisfaction apart from God. And after all that, he says this, the end of the matter, what? Fear God, keep his commandments. Solomon tells us, after all of his fleshly experience, glorify God, find enjoyment in him because the pleasures of this world will never measure up. That's what he's getting at. And if you keep trying to find happiness and satisfaction in the things of this world, you're just playing with mud pies in the street when God offers you eternity with him. Jesus promises that that in the Father, we find joy and it will be full. I'm going to believe the guy that said, I'm going to die and rise again and did it, right? I'm going to believe that guy that raised from the dead. So then how how do we reorient our lives to the pursuit of God? That's our next question accessing the joy of the Lord that promises to be full. Three ways. We glorify God by bearing fruit. That's what we see in John 15. We glorify God by bearing fruit. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified. Aren't you glad the scriptures are clear? By this my Father is glorified. Like we don't, we don't need some, some secret codes. Jesus is clear. By this, my Father is glorified. How? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I, want, I have to give you, family, the whole picture. Because we can't just skip to bearing fruit. We, we need the whole story. Just prior to this section, Jesus gives us a beautiful image, illustration of him being, he calls himself the true vine. The vine that gives life. The the ultimate source of of fruit through us, Jesus working through us as we are extensions from the main trunk. That is who? Jesus. So what do we learn? Bearing fruit begins with a connection to Christ, being in relationship with Jesus. And a relationship with Jesus stems from an understanding of our condition and position toward God Apart from Jesus. Apart from Jesus, this is our condition. We are hopelessly lost in sin. If we, though, acknowledge our sin and confess our need for the righteousness and goodness of Jesus to be connected to Christ, what is is the goodness of Jesus? It's the reality of this. It's these three things. That he lived for us, he died for us, and he rose for us. And the scriptures promise That if we acknowledge our sin and confess our need for Jesus, he is faithful to forgive us and to give to us his Holy Spirit and to reorient our hearts towards finding this joy and satisfaction in him. When, when Jesus is in us, the lure and attraction of sin as a means to happiness begins to fade. And the lure and attraction of pursuing a relationship with God begins to emerge. It's like a plant coming out of the ground. Then, then we begin to ask not what makes us happy, but what pleases the Lord. How can I please you, God? God. And this is when fruit begins to blossom and grow as God in his goodness and grace trims away all that saps our spiritual nourishment and prunes us to pursue and find satisfaction and happiness in him alone. And the results are this. The writings of Paul give us this in Galatians 5, 22 to 24. We call it the fruit of the spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want some of those, don't you? Against such things, there there is no law. And and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Has your relationship with Jesus and the filling of, of the Spirit within you Has it given you a more loving heart? Are you a more joyful person? Do you have peace that passes all understanding? Are you patient? you have kindness? Good, do you strive to be good? Are you remaining faithful to the Lord and faithful to those you're in relationship around you? Are you a gentle person? Do you have self-control? Are you able to, with the power of the Spirit within you, the instruction of the Word, and the sharpening of other saints alongside of you, to put to death the deeds of the flesh? Glorify God by bearing fruit. Number two, we glorify God by obeying His commands. Glorify God by obeying His commands. Verse 10, there's a word if there. I want you to hold on to that word. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Again, abide means remain, like stay connected to. Just as, now Jesus presents himself as an example, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain or abide in his love. Remember the words of the father to Jesus when he was baptized. He said, this is my son in whom I am well, what? Pleased. I'm happy with my son. Jesus gives us a roadmap. If we bear fruit and continue to become more like him We will pursue the Lord's commands. And and we're going to make this really simple for you this morning. We can summarize the Lord's commands in two simple commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We can make it even more simple than that. Love God, love others. Jesus did this perfectly. He's our model and example. If you want to know what it looks like to obey all the commands of God, I invite you, God has entrusted his word to us. He's given us four gospels that document all of the works of Jesus that we can look to, to see how Jesus lived in perfection. How Jesus loved his father and loved others loves his Father, and loves others. Jesus says here again, I'm going back to this word, if you, right? If you keep my commandments. Again, Jesus gives us a clear roadmap. But, it, but in our sinfulness, we have, we've replaced, if you keep my commandments with this, if it makes you happy. Do you see the change to the words there? Isn't that just like the enemy to impart something, to implant a subtle change like that? It sounds so good, doesn't it? If it makes you happy. And yet Jesus didn't say, if it makes you happy. What did he say? If you keep my commandments. He concludes in verse 11, what? that his joy will be in you and your joy will be what? Full, complete. How? Bearing fruit, obeying the commands of God. Be careful the way that the enemy shifts a few words around to aim your heart in the wrong direction. It sounds so pleasing to the ear. And yet it's, it's charted a course to so many lost people that are never able to find God through that pursuit of just mere happiness. Honor God by keeping his commands. Lastly, we glorify God by enjoying life and looking forward to eternal life. We have to enjoy the life that God's given us right here and right now. And we also lift our eyes and look into the distance and look forward to the day of full glory when Christ returns. It makes all things new. Here's the truth. Sometimes we can have this this viewpoint that like God, we have this viewpoint that God just wants to keep us from doing stuff that's fun and makes me happy. But God's not a cosmic killjoy. Parents, I want you to think about this for a second. Think about your own children's happiness and joy. Does this not please you to see your children joyful? I love seeing my my kids happy and joyful. You glorify and honor God when you enjoy the good blessings the Lord has given you in the present, in their proper place, right? Who's at the top? Jesus, God. We enjoy the blessings of God subordinate to Christ underneath him. Jesus says this in in John 15, 9, and then we'll end with verse 11. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. What he says, abide in my love, remain in my love, stay connected to me. Then he says this, these things I have spoken to you that my, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, complete. Our God is a good and loving Father and he desires good things for you. He's given uh, the way to this through his son, Jesus. So that that we can embrace the charge of Paul to the Corinthians. A a congregation and culture that embodied the, right, if it makes you happy mindset. Let's think about the Corinthian church for just a second. They, They were a messy church, weren't they? They were a mess, weren't they? I mean, they... In, in the letter of the Corinthian church, these guys were getting drunk at communion time. They were a mess. They, their culture embodied, if it makes you happy, just do it, even in the life of the church. And yet Paul continued to spur them on after he corrected them, after he reoriented through the power of the Spirit, calling them to follow after Jesus, to correct their ways he continued to call him though. He said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, what does he say? Do all to the glory of God. He's saying, continue to enjoy life, Corinthians, but do it in the right order and do it in a way that's honorable to God through bearing fruit and obeying his commands. Enjoy life to the glory of God. And we also do this. So We enjoy life to the glory of God right here and right now, but we also glorify God by looking forward to what he has in store for us in the future. Things are getting better. Things are going to get better. There's an old saying that that floats around. If you're in Christ, this present life right now is the closest to hell you're ever going to get. If, if you're not in Christ, if you're not a Christian, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is the best it's ever going to get for you. And so we got we to keep that in mind as we look forward to Like, okay, this, this is about the worst it's going to get. It's only going to get better if you're in Christ. Heaven is so marvelous that we can't even explain it in words. We have to look forward to what he has in store for us, an inheritance of eternal life and enjoyment in him. Satisfaction and happiness, right, isn't always about now. Some of you got some struggles in life right now, okay? This this could be the worst it's going to get for you if you're in Christ. It's only going to get better when you're in the presence of Jesus. We have to look forward to the reward of a life well-lived in honor of our Savior, Jesus. He's reconciled us from sin and the desires of our flesh so that we can put off the old self and put on the new. And when he returns in glory, we will all be like him, clothed in glory. 1 John 3, 2 gets at this. Beloved, we are God's children now, right? There's the present. Like you're in Christ now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. So there's this anticipation in John's letter. But we know that when he appears, he says, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. John is saying in glory. The truth is we have this hope founded in this, in the glorious resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's the beauty of the resurrection that it gives us hope above all things. We stand firm on the promises of life because Jesus raised from the dead. That's why we will never waver from this truth of Scripture. We believe these truths unto salvation and sanctification that Jesus came to earth and took on human flesh Fully God and fully man. That Jesus perfectly obeyed the law and will of God, thus living for us. That Jesus went to the cross and died in our place as a substitutionary atonement or sacrifice for our sins. That Jesus died bodily and was buried. That Jesus raised from the dead in victory over sin and death so that through faith in his work, we have hope, hear this, for now and forever for all eternity, satisfaction, hear this, and joy that is full. Amen? Amen.